This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Eric Branson, and with me, as always, on episode number 139, is my friends and co-hosts, Joe Peterson and Ryan Steiskel. How's how you going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. How's it going tonight, guys? <laughs> yes, have some. Like this. <laughs> yeah. so... That's how I always greet my friends, right? Let me just lick you on the face. Like, oh yeah, that's that's totally culturally appropriate during this day and time. This right. year of our people, war, 2021. People use that, you know, um, euphemism about, well, he's a big puppy dog. They're they're not kidding. No, I actually walk up to people and lick their it's face. It's random. Yeah. It's, no sna- it's no Snapchat people, filter. It's the it's... it's the butt sniffing when I introduce you to somebody. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I mean, that's just other, really other dogs, but you know, it's a... the butt Mostly. sniff is for business, and the lick, the face licking is for is like a, a friendly courtesy. Well, Eric, we've always tried Absolutely. to figure out when we first met, and now I have to wonder if that had anything to do with it. <laughs> no. uh, if you don't remember, I don't think how so. That really doesn't met. describe my personality whatsoever. But anyway, well, that was yeah, you know, my my attempt at a joke. Ta da! Ah. Oh shit! So, how, you how are you guys been? doing? I'm alright. I'm alright. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here gloriously on the 139th episode. That's right. Podcast. And you know, I feel like 139 is not celebrated enough. It probably is not. Yeah. I can't and I'm not recall one, ever. I'm not the one to start a tradition, so we're just move on. I mean, there's millions okay. of numbers. Billions, some might say. <laughs> Trillions yeah, so that aren't celebrated enough. <laughs> An almost yeah. infinite number. <laughs> yeah, the world sucks the weather sucks everything hurts anything else going on with you guys this week or like um i uh, yeah <laughs> yeah am i being pessimistic this week <laughs> no it's just it this is it we just came out of a horrible it's like a weather report we just came out of a horrible goddamn cold snap mm-hmm. which Not, just brought yeah. everybody down to like this sucks um, even Texas, it went even down Texas. to Texas. Yeah, yeah, it's like this. The whole country, essentially. Yeah, there, there was a good thing. There was a good thing. We can now say we are alive in a time when there is a robot paleontologist on Mars. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That's pretty That's damn awesome. cool shit, yeah. though. Like what it's gonna do and what that thing can is capable of. Yeah, yeah. but I've been still, amazed just he's reading. Still like, groaning on about his like one on one geology lectures that he's mandatory spo- supposed to do on Mars. Like, yeah, I know. But... is he re- recording his lectures via yeah. Zoom? Is that what's going? on? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the how they even lowered it onto the surface of the planet was just amazing. Like they they had a rocket that went into the atmosphere and then fired reverse boosters to like hover while it lowered this thing from a sky crane. Yeah, and then it didn't it didn't it like hang um, or not fly? I guess it like slowly, but it actually located a landing site 
Yeah. Right? Like, it didn't just, like, drop to the ground like you would think something you shoot through the atmosphere would. It actually, like, flew around and tried to find a appropriate landing site, and it found, them not the, you know, just the right place and where it was flat and yeah. set down. Yeah, like, and... it, well, it was, it was programmed to do that. But, yeah, they, like, it specifically oriented itself. And then um, the the machine itself that's on the, the rover has a um a little helicopter drone type thing too mm-hmm. i was reading about that the other day yeah, too i was gonna fly around when it, when it actually makes flight it'll be the first they, they call it a wright brothers moment the first time anybody you know a human machine has yeah. made flight on an alien planet so yeah wow. we're on a, on a non-terrestrial flight so. it's incredible what we can do as humans one half of us or not even the half and then how the other half still requires like some kind of explanation to how face masks work and how it helps slow this blood but pandemic. i don't breathe through my nose i don't breathe through my nose it still works <laughs> well and then you know yeah you're seeing all the the stupid pointless memes about Texas people are like oh it's all the solar power and or the wind power so this is what happens when you rely on Grown. on unaffected green technology and it's like well that has nothing to do with this but if you want to go down that route this fucking rover's solar powered and it's on Mars yeah. you know how cold it is on Mars it's red. satellites it are in cold. space they're in fucking space with solar panels Joe, we still cold. have to convince people that the sky exists. It's no longer if the planet's round. It's whether or not the fucking sky exists. And birds. Yeah. And birds. Uh, See, we took all that positivity of the, the you know, Mars probe. Percy, they're calling him for short now, isn't, isn't it? Yep, Perseverance. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we took all that positivity and just turned it into negative so fast there. that was. Uh, I'm just saying this. I'm just so. going to say this. When they keep posing these, like robots gonna kill humanity thing or dominate humanity or whatnot and they keep playing up as it's like oh they're gonna outdo us all i'm like i i mean probably for our own good looking at the rate of things i mean <laughs> at this I, point i'm just gonna surrender <laughs> like i think like i think it's time <laughs> we had a good run let the kids take us to home like if you view humanity's accomplishments as our our progeny like robots are the progeny of humanity it's essentially kids going okay oh, Okay, human grandfather, that's a very interesting story. Let's put you back into the home now. Yeah, get back in your tube. <laughs> yep, get back into your right. tube. And, we'll and, thaw and, you out next year for Christmas. And there's like, we're just going to let him watch a bunch of YouTube and play Minecraft or whatever the fuck else. It's just whatever. You know what they should show him? Hmm. The movie we watched tonight. Oh my gosh, you want to go back in time. Yeah, and right. so many ways in one. I, I, I'm right. Well, that was my shot. Should we get to segue? that then? So is that, was <laughs> that a segue? It's trying to pick it up. No, it works. It works. So. Hey, you know what? You made your <laughs> shot. You looked for a landing, and you and you touched ground. Proud of you. Um. Yeah. So that movie, the that aforementioned film, is uh, Fire and Ice. From a time when the world was new. And the dragon hawks. And everything was possible. From the film creator of Wizards and Lord of the Rings comes fantasy and adventure. Action. And suspense. And 
Phoenix. An unstoppable force is coming, crushing everything in its path. Necron, merciless lord of the Ice Kingdom, master of the powers of evil. Between him and world domination stand Tigra, princess of the Kingdom of Fire. Characters created by Ralph Bakshi and fantasy illustrator Frank Frazetta. It's a journey into a whole new world of adventure. It's the image of imagination. Fire and ice. The 1983 film directed by Ralph Bakshi and uh, written by Gary Conway and Roy Thomas. So. Um, Some Conan guys, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. So they wrote for guys. the Marvel comic series, I believe, for the first, like, the long first run of that series. And um, so, yeah, they're well versed in this this kind of thing. Um, let me get you a quick synopsis of Fire and Ice, and that this fantastical animated movie by cult filmmaker Ralph Bakshi finds the villainous Necron and his mother, Queen Juliana, attacking the human race from their frigid fortress. Creating mass destruction with huge glaciers, Necron and Juliana incur the wrath of Larn, a warrior whose entire village was destroyed by the ice. When Necron's underlings kidnap the beautiful Princess Tigra, Larn sets out to rescue her, assisted by the fierce and enigmatic Dark Wolf. You know yeah, what? Um, I think Necron is the is more reasonable to blame for texas than what the other fucking what we were saying earlier the <laughs> against green necron. energy fuck i'd rather believe it was necron and that's fucking, right like ah, it was aoc <laughs> oh, this entire movie <laughs> was like every five minutes i swear someone's yelling roll initiative it just <laughs> wow um so had you guys seen this one before or was this a, a first watch for first I... for me if it was a first for you okay yes i just saw this maybe a little under a year ago i think okay. it was like last spring i saw it on tubi and was like asked my you know my at the time five-year-old hey ollie let's watch this one that was totally not appropriate <laughs> for a five-year-old but Oops. i actually liked it he did too I mean, pulled, it was pulled one of those like, well, it's a cartoon. It should be good, right? And it's a, like, it's I, I, I knew like it was going to be a little sketchy, we but <laughs> I, I guess I just didn't expect uh, Ollie to stare so much at certain scenes. Are you kidding <laughs> me? I was staring. Like, I'm a now a fully grown man. I should have better, like, I have better control. Oh, over you are? Well, can... shit. Congratulations. <laughs> I, it took a while. I, I, I hate to admit it took much longer than I anticipated. Oh, um, I, know you, I know what you mean. And I might be getting ahead of myself with this proclamation anyways but i will say no shit he was staring <laughs> yeah there it's is probably a lot of it doesn't it doesn't matter going on right now yeah i was gonna say it doesn't matter where you end up on the spectrum of sexuality there is something to stare at in this movie no matter who you know who or where yeah. or what i'm looking at you um, sub men yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know but i i, I like just a dad about... bod to get you up in the morning <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it was just about a year ago i think that yeah i, I said there's movie. the whole spectrum awesome. <laughs> it does it's got everything 
Even even if you're into bugs. Oh, that's God. right. Yeah, it's got big bugs in it too. Got that big bug. <laughs> this one's like a I don't yeah, know a... like I know this came out what is it eighty three, and yeah, nineteen eighty three. You know, it's really kind of coming off of Conan and Beastmaster yeah, and stuff like that, right? I believe that's how they got the green light, actually, yeah. was the popularity of uh, the Conan film. I don't think that this was prior to the Conan sequel, but, yeah, just a whole bunch of imitators. Uh, I don't have in front of me what your Beastmaster came out. It was right around the same time. Um, but, yeah, so definitely popularity of sword and sorcery movies, and they got the green light on this thing. Um following uh Bakshi's more popular probably uh fantasy film Wizards mm-hmm. which was a few years before but definitely his uh working relationship with Frank Franzetta who was certainly the the artistic um influence of this film or like the the look and style of this film um yeah, I think was that... totally tied into the way the way he got into the film is totally tied into the Conan being such a kind of unexpected success and you know yeah, they wanted to get a little bit of that Conan money, so. <laughs> I mean, nothing like a big, broad, dumb man and a G-string. I mean, I guess. I don't know what the 80s were like, but <laughs> something about it <laughs> that really attracted people, I guess. Yeah, so this one had been on, like, my, like, watch list for, well, it's definitely as long as I've had a Tubi account, but uh, prior to that, it was definitely something I was aware of. I won't say for like growing up or whatever, but like as a you know as an adult, I became aware of um, this movie existing and being like, oh cool, it was you know Bakshi and Frazetta and um, two kind of like cult like nineteen eighties seventies eighties artists that I really it, it, like their you know enjoy their work. Um, you know they did a movie together. I I should see that someday, and I just never did. So when we got the opportunity to. Uh, had kind of an off week and had to patch one in. I felt like it was a good one um, to knock off the wall of shame. So, um, yeah, and I think that's a good place to start with it. Like, uh, not only it's ties to like Conan and the sword and sorcery fad of the early '80s, but also um, Frazetta's Frank Frazetta's artwork and mm-hmm. the way that this movie kind of like essentially just kind of takes you know his famous works of art by Frazetta and kind of just brings them to life. And that that's literally the, kind of what the movie does. It's a little bit, in my opinion, um, and we'll get more of this later, but it's a little story light, but it's really high, um, you know, um, it's really chock full of, you know, visuals. fantastic adaptations yeah. of the visuals of something. Like, you just dived right into a Frazetta painting. Um, yeah, so I think, like, the, the the biggest triumphs of the movie are, like, the art and the, the action scenes. Um do you guys have any, especially you, Ryan, um, do you guys have any thoughts on the art, like, right off the bat? Like, what What do you think? Um, well, Frazetta, he, he is the pinnacle of sword and sorcery art. Like, enough said. Like, even if you... I mean, that's... Like, if you ever want to get somebody interested in that whole realm of barbarians, savages, in this fusion of like prehistoric uh i don't know it's a weird amalgamation of things you got wizards dinosaurs and barbarians you know what i'm saying and like (laughs) frazetta combines them in such a beautiful way the man really knew how to like 
form like the per- like a perfect body. I'm given a lot of the stuff is like dated. Yeah. Like clearly it's <laughs> it got, kind of goes in certain directions, and we'll probably get to that at some point. But I mean, I'm just saying like just the a human form in general. Um, yeah, I was going to say I don't. And it, we'll dive a little deeper maybe into this as we discuss further, kind of the way the film plays out. But I don't feel like Frenz, Frazetta's artwork is is like sexist in its depictions. It's literally the like, the human form is celebrated in pretty much all, <laughs> you know, male female. Um, I mean, they're full figured women, so yeah, surely yes. Um, uh, and just like, but every you know, every man is kind of like musc- <laughs> muscular, yeah, muscle, yeah. down to like the you know, basically, he's he's a study of not only like the the fantasy tropes, but yeah, the the quote unquote perfect human as seen through the lens of yeah, nineteen eighties. I I will say know. though, I will say that for me though, like even though I appreciate as an artist his his, his human forms. For me, uh, personally, what I like about him is his his environments, which is very heavy in this movie. Even though I know he mm-hmm. wasn't the one who made them, they're inspired by him. Uh, yeah. And that being said, the and w- with his environments is the color design. I love a Frazetta how he approaches light and color and all of his environments. Like those are just mwah, if I'm to do, fucking ever do anything of appreciation it's that more so than anything no. else and this movie is like when the story gets fucking dull and it gets dull i'm just like oh, i'm watching a pretty painting mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so and I'm, I'm like i'm still having I'm still enjoying it still learning from it like i'm watching this and i'm breaking stuff down like oh i really like how that you know the background colors and, and the site light settings like i'm watching how the fucking map paintings in the background are done because they're actual fucking paintings you see the blood mm-hmm. brushed up strokes I was yeah. like, I was stoked for that. So, well, and it, yeah. even you know, I, I wanted to mention too that Frazetta's horror is his his horror paintings are spectacular as well. His yeah. Frankenstein, you know, Dracula, werewolves, and and so on. You know, yeah, because you mentioned dinosaurs and all these other barbarian type things. Everything the man painted, you you really did feel like if you blinked, you were gonna see it move. Like there was, there's, there's a life to these paintings, it, and to see it brought to screen, yeah, and, and yeah, exactly, and to see it brought to screen, um, you, look, you're not literally going to be seeing like a Frank Frazetta painting that level of detail, but this is close. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely inspired by, like you said, um, <clears throat> yeah, Jane, I think it has to move. It, animating something at that level of realism, and and I mean maybe and, could. And, potentially be possible now but i don't think and i wanted to, and I, I just wanted to throw out too like one of the things that this movie does is it it's it's uh, it's animated but it's rotoscoped yeah yeah, yeah it was the and, next thing i was yeah and i kind of yeah. feel like it had to be you know and it works it's actually rotoscope something i don't know i don't it doesn't bother me i know some people hate it um i mean i i think about those people who hate it because I, oh it's just tracing i'm like you fucking do it then yeah, but it yeah. still looks cool yeah. as shit. I don't care how easy yeah. or hard it and is it, to do; it looks cool. It gives it a, it lends it a realism of the movement and makes like the action scenes just feel, I don't know, more cinematic fluid. or whatever. They're fluid. Yeah. They're way more fluid. You see and, more and, subtle and, movements than you do in traditional animation, I think. Yeah. And, and Bakshi used these, uh, I think, in Wizards. He uses this in uh, the American Pop film like almost throughout the entire thing he actually rotoscopes performance and like it's not even an action movie it's about music and uh 
Um, I believe it gets into his Lord of the Rings film. Um, so he does a lot of his, like, and I think they use it mostly in, like, action scenes or when there's big, you know. Well, who did, um, um who did the rotoscope in? Because it, it was, um, it was the same guy who did Aeon Flux, I believe. Or he was part of the animation department. I'm trying to find his name real quick. Peter Chung. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was also going to say, say the, be- the beautiful, like, set design, like, the background paintings mm-hmm. and stuff were done by, uh, James Gurney and Thomas, uh. Thomas Kincaid, yeah. Kincaid, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was going to give them a shout out because this isn't Frazetta. This is their work, but it is it is good. Yeah, these are two incredibly talented artists as well, painters as yep. well. So this is right. this movie is really kind of a a who's who of eighties pop art or, or fantasy art. Yeah. When you think of Thomas Kincaid and his kind of like being, you know, famous in the in a totally different realm of him, him working on this film, I kind of get a kick out of, but, but I mean, that's what he did. I mean, that's what he did well is those kind of landscapes and light and color. And, um, yeah, it, yeah. I will say I do have one of my first criticisms of this movie because we're talking about the art. It fits perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. the long title sequence. Yeah. It's fucking like two and a half minutes long and it's just black with red letters this yeah. is red words and i'm like this movie is heavy on visuals you're telling me you can't use this as the moment to build up your environments just show some yeah, stills they could have used and some... pan yeah absolutely yeah easy easy fix to do but they did it and i'm like oh for such a movie that's like you know put up there for like one of what was one of the best animated movies like best 99 out of 99 movies or whatever um mm-hmm. It's just like, but your intro, which is so fucking long, um, has nothing. It's just a void with red letters. And it's like, wow, we really missed that opportunity. (laughs) And I just realized I'm going to jump backwards for two seconds. We talked about the rotoscoping process, but I don't think we ever explained what exactly that is. Mm. And if if you're not familiar with what rotoscoping is, it's that uh, they would, you know, shoot film in camera with actors you know on a on a set or on a probably against green screen back then um or blue screen even because it was 80s um and they would go through the you know the motions and act out the scene uh and then animators would take those film cells and literally animate over top of the actor's performance or movement so they were drawing their characters based on the movement of you know frame by frame uh of what the actors did uh and i don't know i think it gives it a really cool different look and 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 that look and the feeling of the that rotoscoping and kind of the the smooth movement and animation uh just reminds me of of bakshi's films for some reason like and i think it's just those few and i know it's only a few of them that use it but um yeah, so it's cool. It's, I think it's an interesting style, and no, I don't just think it's tracing. Can you imagine frame oh by God. frame? That's where know, I was coloring on say. film cells like that's any 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 criticism towards that. It's like fuck you. <laughs> you yeah, like because not only are you just tracing over like, and I'm sure some of the the actors were wearing certain amount of costumes because to make it easy, but you're building a fucking movie like you just said. You have to do it frame by frame, and they are still adding artistic elements to it. To anyone who's just like, mm. anyone can just trace. No, 
Actually, you can't. I, I, I know for a fact that not everyone can just trace. Have you, anyone yeah. has ever taken somebody's photo and just traced over it? Like I've like any artist, you can tell it's like, hmm, something's wrong here. Yeah, because you still have to understand thickness of line um, and like what is like too much, what is just enough to depict the information. There's still... There's, so this struck a nerve, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's just like, it's that idea. It's just like... You're, you have the technology to do something in an efficient way to get A to A to B quickly as possible, but you still need to have a certain level of creativity and skill to identify what information you need, how to depict that information. Because like when you're doing those frames, you are ch still choosing which frames for animation. Like you're not animating every single fucking frame. You're animating very key frames that still create the illusion of a fluid motion like there's a lot going on there so anyways you can just like sit there on their their disgusting asses and just go like eh, it's fucking just trace work yeah fuck yeah. you yeah <laughs> i bet you don't there's think a lot the sky... more to it than that yeah i don't think you think the sky exists and you probably think that uh solar panels are the reason that things freeze over <laughs> i'm keeping yeah. it relevant i got a lot of <laughs> spite so well, we touched on it briefly um, a minute ago, but we can dive in uh, wholly into it. Now, I'll start off with like a um, example from a review written by Donald Grieg of the Monthly Film Bulletin around the time of the film's uh, initial release, and that he called, said, or quoted, the animator's fetishistic fascination with the human form was um, off-putting in this movie. Um and I'm not sure this comes from the animators. I, as we just discussed earlier, I think it comes from Frazetta's uh, it comes from the fetishistic fascination with the human form. Um, but, well, I think uh, it's just the nature to sorry, Eric, but I think I'm just adding. I think it's just it's just the nature of sword and sorcery. Yeah, like yeah, it's sword and sorcery, and they always and and we all know the third S, sex. Right. <laughs> But like not just blatantly obvious. It's it's but sword and sorcery itself. It's sexy, it's sexy in, in multiple different ways. You know, it's it's kind of dirty, in a lot yeah. of different ways. You well, know? and this this barbarian character that we we've, we've been given in these, especially in the like seventies eighties, when they finally uh, the way they've realized Conan the Barbarian on film. Um, and in the Schwarzenegger version, I think gives you this, you know, very distinct version of what the barbarian hero is like. And that informs like all of its imitators to follow. And that is, you know, a, a very, you know, perfectly toned, muscly man that wears very little clothing and very, very and, and little. That his, his, his counterparts, you know, very, you know, <laughs> curvaceous women <laughs> that, you know beyond maybe what is possible you know in actuality like these uh, very very perfect beings um whether they be male or female but yeah so so Frazetta's got this thing about his picture of you know perfection um you know I honestly think about it I think it's just easier to draw half naked people than it is to draw armor or clothes that <laughs> like honestly some truth to that i'm sure yeah because oh, yeah. like, so, you have to draw like certain cultural elements you have to design a cultural element for any of that and it's just like ah fuck it make happen to be like mainly naked <laughs> it's probably like <laughs> yeah. 
This this well, would and, really and, get the twelve year old boys excited. Yeah, and in Fire and Ice, I mean, I think that's absolutely this movie. There's barely outside of what is his name, Jarl, the uh, Tigra's father, who is the king of Volcano Land or whatever they called it, and uh, <laughs> prefer <laughs> he, uh, Volcano Land. Yeah, um, not a lot he, of fire in Fire and Ice. He was pretty much the only dressed character in this entire movie, the only shirted character. I think everybody else, well, Necron, I suppose too, yeah. but oh, um, pretty much nobody else wore anything. No, I will say, like the whole, wise, so. the first scene where they're fighting the ice wall, wearing nothing but thongs and Uggs. I'm like, yeah, what do you think was gonna happen? You're gonna fucking <laughs> die, man. <laughs> I like how yeah. they're, they're, I thought their that like throughout the whole thing, like yo, this, yeah, all these fight scenes, and you don't think to you know maybe put on a layer or something to you know stop the sword from anyway. Just running but, through the jungle, Eric. The whole time is... they're running through the jungle, I'm like, oh god, no. I've lived in the woods. I would <laughs> yeah. never fucking run in shorts, let alone naked. All right. You're gonna get scratched by the raspberry bushes. <laughs> it's it's like nah. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, is it a little bit of a you know twelve year old boy's fantasy version of you know the quasi-historical world absolutely it oh, is God. but i Bring think it also is neos born is all i'm saying all yeah. of it just all the neos born that you can slather on your body <laughs> yeah so nixon cuts yeah larn and antigra and um every one of the subhuman characters are literally wearing nothing but you know just the bare minimum string um Loin covering clubs, their yeah. genitalia yeah that's that's it so yeah I've... At least Dark Wolf has a hat. Yeah, that's true. He does accessorize. He does. He's got that like you know sword and sorcery Batman thing going on. I was definitely picking up like he's like a medieval uh, to another DC character, like a medieval wildcat. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I was a dark uh... wolf. So uh, I think we. I think that we definitely. More him, but yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Same. Um, so we definitely touched on what I, th- what I think is the strongest part of this film and, you know, the, the, uh, what makes it the most enjoyable is the artwork and I really like the style of everything and it, it really does pull off as well as you maybe can being a Frazetta painting come to life, you know, and just, uh, so all of that was really great. So I want to talk about some of the stuff that perhaps is not quite as great about it. And that is the actual plot and characters <laughs> yeah. in this film. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think? Um, you know, it's a pretty simple sword and sorcery tale, like straight out of a Conan comic, literally out of a friend's at a painting, and it just, you know, including some of the creatures and character designs. Um, did the story work for you? Do you think there are strengths and weaknesses? Is it too simple? Like, what are your um, thoughts? I thought it was it's very simple. Um it's it's kind of what you would expect to see. This was like a long episode of He-Man. Um story-wise. <laughs> yeah. And it very felt sim- like it was being stretched out. And it, yeah, like a stretched out multi-part episode of Masters of the Universe. Um <clears throat> but at the same time that's kind of what it was going for. Yeah. This yeah. wasn't trying to tell a I think because of the attention paid to the art in this, and I'm not saying it has to be mutually exclusive before I continue, but I feel like definitely the attention was paid into the art and the design. Much much more attention was paid to that than the story, and I don't think they cared. No, um, they, I don't think that. Either. I think they knew their audience, yeah, which is impressive mm-hmm. in and of itself. It's it's bold, but the, you know, like we were kind of talking about before we recorded tonight, 
not everything is for everyone, right? Um, right. Yeah. It's out there for everyone, but it's not going to appease everybody's tastes. And this definitely won't appease to everybody's taste. It didn't back then. It probably does less now um, yeah. for some other problematic themes in it. But uh, as far as the story goes, yeah, it's it's 12-year-olds obsessed with sex. Yeah, also, it's like this is a typical 1983 12-year-olds D&D campaign. I know I keep going back to that, but that is what it is, you know? Yeah, that's what that's what it that's you, you have a twelve-year-old you, I would yeah. say probably. You have a pretty generic, like you know, bad bad magician or evil wizard that's taking over the land. You have your last holdout of you know the good guys. You have your your hero that is kind of, you know, thrown into this situation. Although he was a warrior, but like is the last of his you know he just people that survive, were wiped yeah. out and just happens to survive and you know gets attached to this princess captured princess who is captured over and over and over and over again in this film yeah um she's really good <laughs> that, at that yeah yet at the beginning to... of the movie she's lamenting about how like oh all the men go out and have battles and wage war yeah i just have to sit here i'm like well do you want the opposite because it's not good <laughs> yeah um yeah and, and i think i i credit that a little bit more to lazy writing than i do to Tigra being a damsel in distress, although she is a, a bit at times, but she can also, you know, kick some ass as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but she keeps getting herself <laughs> captured over and over again, so yeah. I don't know. I feel like that was like, we don't know what else to do, you know, get Tigra captured again, and, you know, let's I'm... get Larn and Tigra close to coming together, and then we're going to break them apart again, and we're going to, yeah, so we're yeah. going to throw Dark Wolf in there, and, um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. I guess, we, yeah, we should talk a little bit more about the characters, but. I was going to say that, like, I agree with, yeah, the plot is just simple, loose, and kind of boring, if I'm to be honest. Like, yeah. it's one of those things, it's like, thank God I'm kind of, like, bored of the plot, I can just watch the backgrounds. <laughs> it's just like, I'm just going <laughs> to, like I said like I said before, like, I'm watching, like, oh, they really did a nice job painting those mountains. Ooh, there's, like, a little bit of orange in there, so it kind of, like, has a nice contrast, the cold snow. Like, I'm noticing all these <laughs> things, I'm like, oh, there's a plot here. No, no, there's no, no, there isn't. I'm gonna nah, keep fucking really. watching. Not really. Yeah. Um, but uh, you aren't gonna miss anything looking away. There, there. I, Ryan, I totally agree with you. There are times where you would rather look in the background than the foreground. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> like, oh, this, this fucking plot was more loose than their fucking loincloths. Because, like, how many times can it, like, <laughs> hey, she was, she, she, she was captured, and then she broke free, but then she was captured again, but then she broke free. But then she was captured again. Like, nobody's good like, at capturing or being captured. Right. Yeah. It's just like, oh my fucking Nobody God. was a particularly good anything. No. Necron was not a particularly good bad guy. Lauren's not a particularly good hero. I mean, maybe you could make the argument Dark Wolf was Dark Wolf. better. But Dark Wolf was not particularly well developed as a character. So I think you got like, five minutes of him total. Father figure yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. And that, yeah. I think the whole movie should have just been Dark Wolf. But I understand they're like, well, well, we need to have this love interest. No, you didn't. Didn't have to be that at all. There's no fucking need for that. I mean, you fucking yeah. made that your focus for whatever times that you actually had dialogue in this movie. But no, you didn't need it. Just fucking stick with Dark Wolf. I would have just enjoyed like a card, uh, Conan silent character type, just fucking beating his way through this fucking like whatever. Uh, but Necron, Necron, like. You want to care? You want kind of want a villain to hate. Um, Necron, 
you just kind of hate him, but not because he's doing anything fun. Like, all no, he does is yeah. a bunch of awkward... If, if rotoscoping has anything kind of strange, and this is this is a criticism toward the, 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 the acting and the creative choices with, with Necron, he just has the weirdest O faces anytime he's just moving his glacier. And it's yeah. just like, this is weird. Is he getting off on it? Is it hurting him? Is it both? Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of have to say that's probably just a side effect. And not not to defend, I actually I think you have a good point. Um, but I think that's just like a side effect of rotoscoping because you probably have to overemphasize everything yeah. to get it in there, you know? And it's almost like, like like silent movies, right? If you go back and watch old silent movies, yeah. everybody's overreacting to everything, so it gets it sells the point, and you're kind of doing the same thing here. Well, well, I feel like it was a it's a bad. I don't I think it's a bad performance that the anim- that very well too <laughs> that the animators just like I guess we're going with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was gonna say they sh- they in theory would have had the the capability to change some of that facially um add something to it yeah yeah just went with what he was doing with it the actor was doing with it so Uh, i'm not gonna i'm not Um, gonna lie when he died it was very satisfying to watch him die though (laughs) though that that final fight he his eyes are just rolled in the back of his head like you actually see like the tiny black pupil up on the like the furthest it can go on the eyeball but still be no like recognizable and he's like why won't you die and i'm like why you keep looking up (laughs) <laughs> like why can't they just wipe your eyes like why why did they keep the pupil <laughs> let it go man it doesn't make sense just kill it okay they killed him and i made my own necron face when i when he died it was great it was like all connected yeah. I, I i do just want to look up i actually uh mentioned i looked up who was the rotoscope actor for necron and it was a guy named sean hannon who is still working that was his 15 minutes of fame, but he is a an accomplished 3D character animator who's worked on huh. uh, like a whole bunch of movies and like he did he was he worked on the movie Glass, The Defenders, Iron Fist, Blind Spot, and he's also right. uh, one of the animators on the DreamWorks cartoon Dino Trucks for kids. Wow. Okay. Well, so Necron animals. lives in the form of Dino Trucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I yeah, tell the actually, story. <laughs> it's it's interesting if you go and Google. There are some pictures, some photos. Um, if you Google, I'm sure they're probably on like the special edition DVDs of this movie as well. But of the performance, what they call performance models, the cast that actually like did the acting or did the physical acting, um, they didn't do the voices, but. Um, you can see photos of them doing some of these scenes and it is interesting because although they're dressed like the characters and and do have some general like physical uh, similarities, they don't necessarily look exactly like these people. Um, So there is some, certainly some things that they did or added to these characters when they, when they animated, not sure why they couldn't get rid of the weird faces. So that must've been a decision somebody made about Necron. I don't know. Necron to me was kind of like the spoiled brat teenager of villain wizards. <laughs> like I don't know, he was just like a mopey, angsty, like uh, 
I'm taking over the entire world, and I can't stand it. It's so boring. Mother, stop it's giving like, me all these yeah, sluts. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. And when that point, I'm like, is he an LGBTQ character? Because giving me all these sluts. Yeah. That's a that's a fucking actual line. I'm not yeah, even fucking paraphrasing. Yeah. He actually does say, "Mom, you have to stop bringing in all these sluts or some shit like that." It's just like he really yeah, does no, refer I think to her that's as a slut. The line. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, okay. So, interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I was totally underwhelmed with Juliana, the mother. The, the prologue of the, the the very beginning led you to believe like she was some like evil sorceress, and she had this son, and he was even more powerful, and like she was. I mean, she was just like nagging mom and she was there for like five seconds when it came down in the climax of the movie and then gone essentially like, oh yeah she, was, she had no posed no threat or had no like bearing to the story whatsoever she didn't even need to be there no <laughs> not one no, bit well. <laughs> they did get to ride dragons though i mean at some point in this so that what, was what are they called that was cool something so. hawks yeah what did they call them Ah, uh, now I gotta find out. But they just um, look like pterosaurs to me. They're but, just pterosaurs. Yeah. yeah, those things are straight out of a Frazetta or Frazetta, yeah. a Frazetta painting, aren't they? Like I swear I recognize those. Oh from yeah, one same of his with paintings, the like, the iguana-like creature that emerged from the water and ate the sub the sub men. Yeah, the subhumans. Yep. We should oh, talk then, about uh, the subhumans. Dark... I was just gonna say, should oh, we yeah. talk about the subhumans? Because I feel like yeah, it's our like should. responsibility. It's a sticking them. point with this movie, surely, that the subhumans are extremely insensitive and not deliberately racist, I think, towards one group of people, but just everyone not white. White? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, the it's fact that like... even Larn, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, mm-hmm. you know, he's about as Aryan as you can get fighting these Cro-Magnon-looking yeah. savage subhumans it's just like uh, you know dark skinned subhumans i'm just like oh god with ape-like features yep yeah yep it's a little yep. cringy more than a little um yeah between that and, and that, of course you know tigra wearing a, a see-through purple nothing <laughs> yeah hanky? i was gonna say is she wearing anything like that's really <laughs> no um yeah, and it's a. I think it's a criticism that comes across of, of fantasy, especially in the cla- like classic fantasy, in general. That a lot of them are just you know at the end of the day, if you boil them down to their basic premise, like are kind of great white hope stories. Uh, and yeah. I mean, it's early '80s, so. Right, and, and and based on things that you know came from the prior decade, and which are based on things that came from you know fantasy stories going back to the early 20th century and i think there's some truth to that 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 you know a lot of what we see as the 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 fantasy world is is kind of based in that concept and luckily i think people are starting to break break those barriers and and do something new and different with that to break you know break out of that mold but i think this one's very much still stuck in that i mean like you said larn is just about as you know picture perfect aryan (laughs) poster boy you could ever have you know um and all of the bad guys you know short of necron necron is you know purple or something and like um, grayish bluish yeah yeah and um but his you know 
everybody, all the subhumans, all of the, which they're even fucking called subhumans. Um, yeah. Are all, you know, dark skinned of some sort. They have like, you know, ape like features, but I also feel like they have kind of like, I don't know, almost, I, they're just like accentuated terrible old stereotype features from different racial groups and they're all they're, they're all there except you know everybody not white is represented in these evil subhumans and yeah it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth does it totally ruin the movie no because there's a lot of stuff that you know by modern standards is not maybe the best taste but that's definitely the one that's the hardest to kind of like not you, you couldn't get through a review of this i think and not bring it up like you said ryan it, yeah. it doesn't tur- it doesn't like ruin the movie it's an ethical In a movie like this it's almost to be expected and unfortunately but yeah, yeah i i yeah you, you it's got to be mentioned but this is kind of like there there's enough going on here to respect this film i think for the from a technical aspect um and you know because as far as rotoscoping goes i know we keep harping about that but it this this can either work or it doesn't, and in this case, it works. Um, yeah, the story's kind of crap, but what do you expect when you're <laughs> fire and ice? What are you expecting? You know. Yeah. Um, well, right. I was gonna say that's kind of I was gonna say kind of a criticism of sword and sorcery, though in the Conan it films is. it was a little bit better. But essentially, it is it is a, like a weird version of white saviorism <laughs> or uh, i don't say that specifically but having a white savior or white yeah group, i see like, what you mean yeah um but it's just like it's weird because you know uh, historically you have a lot of white groups like in the past stories like if if you're a person uh of color who has a connection to a tribal um society you are you are savage you are not of us but in the same degree you have somebody who's white who's tarzan or you have somebody who is um like conan the barbarian or these people like no 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 no. that's fine they're barbarians not savages there's a difference i'm like you think that white people are also the only people so what if white people have a tribe (laughs) it's okay (laughs) <laughs> but it's like blackface you know yeah it's like um yeah. well i'm thinking about like no it's kind of like vikings right it's kind of like vikings but uh first off they didn't wear loincloths i'm pretty sure they fucking wore a lot of fucking fur face where they're fucking from but um <laughs> then again yeah. looking at how they're fucking facing a glacier in this one who the fuck knows um <laughs> but it's that kind of argument if it's like why there is plenty when you look at humanity as a whole there are plenty of fucking interesting fascinating tribal uh groups out there with their own very unique artistic style that can be explored but somehow in some way it always turns out to be an an antagonist because this is back then of course like the representation of like well it's for white boys like this whole movie is for white boys yeah so it is totally it is yeah and that that's what sucks going back to these because they're like there's a lot of cool things here but you have to also like it is of a certain time, and we have to address, yep, this is definitely for a very specific group of people. And it makes me kind of wonder, is there a reason that sword and sorcery uh, stories don't work so well nowadays? Um, I, I think sword and sorcery is going... I, I have a prediction that it's going to come back, but it's going to be different. 
I think and yep. I think, I, I think Game of Thrones did a big part for that. Yep. Um, I think the resurgence of D and D and the success of Ren Fairs and all that kind of stuff. I think we mm-hmm. are seeing that come about. The success of the the Netflix series The Witcher. Um, you know, all of these are going back to some of these story styles and artistic styles, but they're bringing it with a much more progressive, um, kind of and a little more socially responsible. Not always perfect, inclusive, but inclusive as well. Much more think, inclusive. Right? Uh, so I, I think, yes, I think this was one of the reasons why Sword and Sorcery kind of lost <laughs> its appeal for a while. Um, but I think it's coming back in a different way, and, and I'm, I'm excited. I know there was a discussion in, God, what was it, 2012, 2010? 2010, Robert Rodriguez yeah. was looking yeah. into doing a live action remake of this and i guess sony has the rights but who knows yeah, right now it hasn't happened but yeah i was going to ask about that like uh robert rodriguez remake and just knowing you know his style and what he does with films like is that a good idea do you think they could do justice to something oh, yeah. like this I yeah so. He, I kind of think does, it's a great idea, a, actually. <laughs> not only does he do an amazing job with depiction of action, especially with like the latest um, Mandalorian Season 2 episode that he directed, where he himself directed mm-hmm. Boba Fett's just savage fucking behavior. But yeah. also, he yeah. himself, he's very good at making like an all-inclusive cast um very diverse and and explores a lot of different diversity in that way it done so in such like an organic way um yeah don't want any of those criticisms of just like just because uh, just because you say um but like i think yeah if anyone i mean there's probably a few directors out there but rodriguez is definitely one of them who can really make probably a good like, sword and sorcerer could you imagine if he went in as hard as he did with the art style for something like sin city with frank miller's work mm-hmm. he went that hard into the franzetta look oh, oh my god just and just you know with modern technology and being able to shoot the way he does in his studio and i think it, i think it sounds like it could be done really really well and really bring that oh, to yeah. life and yeah i think he would be you know he's a good modern filmmaker he understands the industry he's in you know a lot more inclusive and a lot more um and that that bulbous fat scene, the mm-hmm. way that like the savagery of just like the way he just busted stormtroopers' heads. Spoilers. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be fucking amazing. I was just sitting here thinking, who else as a director could handle a, a good sword and sorcery, like a remake of this, maybe live action. And it's funny because. Zack Snyder came to mind, and immediately I went, yeah, he'd do that. I mean, he'd make the same fucking movie with the <laughs> sexism and racism and all that shit in there anyway, but he'd, he'd do it. I mean, yeah. it, would, it would probably look cool, because he's, you know, look that's good. the one thing he nails is he's got a style, right? Yeah, it's, but, it, it, but it'd be the same thing we have here, just live action. It wouldn't be yeah. any different. It might be worse, but, <laughs> um, but he'd do it. <laughs> Yeah, and he's not really a modern filmmaker, but still around making films. But I always wanted to see, and I guess in a way he already has, because the the Mad Max films are like that. But I was gonna mm-hmm. say George Miller could tackle something like this that I oh, think would yeah. be very oh, interesting, yeah. very much. Um, but it, yeah, in a way, it shares so many similarities to his his Mad Max films that 
maybe it's maybe that's just like rehash kind of but yeah but i mean he has a way of putting the barbarianism in a in a post-apocalyptic movie Mm -hmm. um like yeah that's a very good i didn't didn't even think about that that director but yeah he would yeah i'll throw one more uh chip gareth edwards no yeah what what specifically makes you say gareth rogue one oh yeah yeah you know i think he he understands scenery yep scenery that's what i was thinking understand scenery and action scenes in scenery and i think that's an important i was very taken with his his early film monsters i think it was called yes um that yeah very much so uses uses scenery to do most of his most of the horrific parts of that movie aren't with big special effects it's uh yeah he's so i yeah i think he he, that's a great choice i Maybe not quite quite as an obvious one like the other two, but um, yeah, I think he could do. As far as like like it. modern current directors, which mm-hmm. admittedly I'll admit, you know, since we do a podcast every week on movies that are thirty years old, um, <laughs> right? At least I uh, I have to think when I'm like, who who'd be a good director for this or that? I've I've always got to realize, oh yeah, there's like a whole generation that's making movies now that I don't think about often. Yeah, you know, and I think and that's true for me too. But I sure. think Gareth Edwards would be good just because of how he's, you know, he uses scenery with action sequences, uh, and and yeah. Rogue One really comes to mind for that because of, you know all these different planets he's shown like do these different worlds and have all this stuff going on in each one. Um, you you need that for something like like this. I mean, we've essentially seen. Um, Oh God, I, I'm blanking on his name, and that's probably a good thing. Who did Day After Tomorrow? Um, no, no. Uh, or into Roland Emmerich. Oh, yeah, Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. Yeah. We've seen Roland Emmerich do this with like what was it, like one million BC, or whatever yeah. his version of that was, where it's like all sorts of different settings, and it was terrible. Um, so I think <laughs> looking at people who've done that and have been successful at it. Because that's something you need in a sword and sorcery, and this does it. You've got well, lots of different settings. There's so there, you said there's swamps, there's rainforests, there's everything. Not just you could that. hire Peter Jackson to do this thing, and it'd be four and a half hours long. <laughs> and no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I was gonna true. say like uh, on that, and um, not just the diversity of a setting, but also like characters. You really have to have characters that you enjoy, because they're gonna fucking die. Like that, their death. Yeah shows the 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 danger of the environments they're in and if they're good characters and they mean something those deaths have a bigger impact that environment has a bigger impact all of it has a bigger impact um and of course like the biggest criticism with this movie uh fire and ice is that it it lacks so much of that and it just like it just it's definitely a movie that mainly like hey let's take some frazetta uh artwork and make a movie out of it that's exactly what it is and back then they did this shit constantly and it did fairly well well enough for them to make a couple more uh things like this and it's just like yeah but nowadays like you know it can be better like you can really make an immersive uh world that's just uh great and have some wonderful characters with it uh you know and that's what i i think it's fair for us to ask for that you know, um, yeah, that's what I, I would like. I, I would like to ask one question that is is a departure from the sword and sorcery kind of topic that we've been focusing on, and that's um, 
adult-oriented animation mm. in the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s with Wizards and this, and you mentioned I, American Pop and Heavy Metal. Heavy Metal um, was what I was going to bring up, yep. And and I, and I and one that isn't so popular, but Rock and Rule. Um, how does this oh, yeah. how how does this rank? Do you think among some of those the ones you've seen? I feel like it's not quite as well realized of a film as uh, something like even even Wizards, but definitely American Pop is a cool. Um, it, but that's very different. Like it's not an action. Like mm-hmm. um, so when compared to like heavy metal, uh, I have I've never seen Rock and Roll. I know it's in kind of in that genre as well. Um, Wizards. It's, I feel like it's on a par, but perhaps maybe a notch lower when it comes to what I get out of it. Because the, the technical side of this, I, I love pretty much everything I'm I'm seeing. Um, the, the friends that have come to life, sword and sorcery thing, and that, that's great. It doesn't give me a whole lot more than that, though. It's just kind of, you know, it's it's fun to look at. It, it's it. It's it's giving it's entertainment for your eyes the whole way through, but not a whole lot for your brain, I guess. Is, um, and I don't think that's true of some of those others. I think there's there's a little more compelling storytelling going on. So, so actually, I might change that a little bit. It's not really on a par. I think it might be a little bit below. I'd rank it down below some of those others, but okay. Um, that doesn't mean I, did, I disliked it, but yeah. It's, I also think that it's interesting that during that period of time there was so many of these kind of adult themed animations we don't there's tons of it out there uh obviously but we don't see it mainstream the way it was then it's not playing in the movie theaters you know um yeah so why do you think that is um i don't know i think there's a weird connotation especially around the time we grew up that was that was being challenged with things like beavis and butthead and south park and even the simpsons was controversial when it came out um that animation is for children yeah which is mm-hmm. which is silly because it's i don't think it's ever really been you know exclusively for kids in any way um you know it just yeah i, I, was, I was just gonna say you know i think about how many like more so and i just like before we recorded i'm telling the guys about like i just checked out on hbo max uh close enough like another animated series that was done by uh the same guy who did regular show but like there is this like and i think about nowadays where there's cartoons that are directly for adults uh and then there's cartoons for kids that can also be enjoyed by adults like adventure time um which i don't really invest much into but one of my favorites is actually gravity falls which mm-hmm. is a kid's show, but as an adult, you can watch it going like, oh my god, they're in a, like, this episode's called, like, Dust Till Dawn, and they're in a haunted convenience store. And it's just like, there's so much going on nowadays, because we are a generation of people uh, much older, some of us have kids, and there's there's now media being made for our kids, but also still for us, because we can appreciate the value of a cartoon oh that's been going on though since warner brothers and like the the looney tunes i, I mean they maybe but more so nowadays I, is what I, I'm getting at. I think the marketing yes i um, or being directed towards because i mean you go back to some of the the bugs bunny cartoons and yes there were some really questionable things in there by today's standards certainly <laughs> but um there were jokes in there that kids didn't get 
but they were there for the adults. And it's almost like, yeah, we know your kids are watching this, so here you go. But I'm saying, um, like, more so nowadays, the balance between the two has gotten a lot better. Oh, there's certainly, yeah. I mean, cartoons specifically directed at, at people. I mean, did I, I guess the question is, like, did heavy metal and wizards and this, did that usher in what eventually, you know, turned into Family Guy and Rick and Morty? Well, <laughs> what, no, like I, I don't think that necessarily. I think more so like the Simpsons did Family Guy and such. But I was gonna, yeah, what yeah, I was going to yeah. say with that is, like, clearly nowadays kids' cartoons can be better um, where anyone can enjoy it. And same goes with, like, adults our age are more open to, like, yo, no, a cartoon can be an adult show clearly yeah. like we have no question about we have no problem with that so what i was actually going to go towards is like then why aren't we seeing more adult cartoons like heavy metal like ice age that's where i was actually going to lead to is like that's a very good question why if we're more open to that now why aren't we seeing more of that and maybe i'm just talking out my ass and someone out there in in the ethers is fucking in the distance in the void going like ryan there's like five of those that just came out this year what's wrong with you um but i'm just saying <laughs> yeah that's true why it could isn't be. it why isn't it big and bigger why isn't it bigger then you know what well, I mean? well I, I wonder if it's because these were were pretty edgy when they came out and yeah edgy is edgy means something different today or it has a different set of criteria yeah yeah you know um and it's going to culturally keep shifting one way or the other you know things are always going to change um <laughs> so maybe this was just a a, a singularity like a moment in time that that led Possibly. to some things and that's kind of where it it well it 80, 80 83 that was when did heavy metal come out uh, who can google it faster, it <laughs> google faster. <laughs> i had it up damn it <laughs> Given all I got, Captain. Um, yeah, I'm saying like 82, late 70s, late 70s. Well, 81, gonna, 81. Okay, is so, this? Yeah, 81. I want to say that year. these these animated features kind of came out before, um, like PG 13 became more of a big thing, right? Like this is where the questionable time where like people are like, let's make an animated fit uh, flick that is clearly for adults. But we are aiming for twelve-year-old boys going back to that whole thing because we're they're they're going to be interested. This is so going to be our audience is going to be young people who read comics. Maybe yeah, that that's, was that's why point. I was kind of poking fun at Zack Snyder because he already kind of did remake all of these kinds of movies. It's called Sucker Punch, and it was kind of <laughs> shitty. Uh, yeah, in yeah. my opinion. Um, yeah, that I didn't was, care for it. That was a movie where it's just like I wanted to like it more than than I did. Um, but <laughs> I had one person tell me, I think you'd get it. And I'm like, oh, I got it. It's just bad. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, it's like, it's too deep. It's, it's deep, but not like good deep. Um, yeah. but no, going back to the, this, it's like, well, here's an argument here. Like we got better forms of animation with, in terms of like digital, like where's the Shrek equivalent of fire and ice. You know what I'm saying? Like, why don't we get those kind of level of animations where you have pioneers in animation want to make like an adult level thing to this degree? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we did get it and it was most of Game of Thrones, <laughs> but which was know. a significant portion of, you know, it was live action and animated. There were you know, a lot of computer well, I animation. Mean, I mean, clearly like animated. You know what I mean? That's, That's like every, every Xbox game. 
I was going to say the closest that we ever really got, and it's kind of weird to say because it's still for kids technically, is actually the Star Wars animated features. The Clone Wars and um, less Rebels to no. a degree. Yeah, Definitely I mean, still, not they're still pretty marketed at kids and they never quite got to that's, the... That's the, what I'm... Especially in their you know, well, the feature film well, what know, I, pilots or whatever. They were what, definitely more on yes. the kids' side of things. But My argument with that is like, but you're seeing these beautiful made worlds. That's why I'm using them as an mm. example. And they can tell some deeper darker story elements that you can like that are important for kids but can still be appreciated as an adult but i'm saying like where is those like higher pg-13 r-rated level of animation because clearly you can explore a beautiful wonderful atmospheric world but you're not really getting it and i guess what it really comes down to i already knew the answer you can't really sell the toys And that's yeah. usually what it comes down to. And with I think that's why nowadays. movies like this were always like rock and rule, why fire and ice and heavy metal, especially these were always a like niche things with certain adults, but not, not all adults. And definitely they weren't geared for kids. If you yeah. got caught watching heavy metal as a kid, you in the eighties, you were probably going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember thinking when I got a, my hands on a copy of that, that it was very, um, controvert like it was very like ooh, this is gonna be like a dirty movie or something and turns out it's you know just a sci-fi kind of pulpy yeah. and, and you know i will you say have completely different parents than i did because i guarantee yeah. i've had this where my parents have come in me watching heavy metal at like 11 on stars and just and what it was for me isn't like oh you can't watch this what it is is like what the fuck are you watching yeah <laughs> like it's, well, just, I, it's the shame of just you're watching something weird and then they carry on with their lives that was it that was the there, biggest there fucking are weight some, i ever carried i will say there are some uh, definitely adult animated films or shorts that are out there right now um but again they're they're not quite this level and i'm thinking like rob zombies you know el super bisto Oh yeah, which is yeah. essentially like Rob Zombie's, you know, taking a crack at Fritz the Cat, yeah. um, which is another one I probably should bring up, uh, or not. Um, <laughs> and and yeah. there's a a, sh- a short film that was kind of a pilot to a show that never took off, but now it's back in like a totally different version. But it's called Has Been Hotel. Hmm. That's yeah. about like it's, it takes place in hell, and if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's interesting. It's very dark, incredibly dark. Um, I am, and and a bit it's very raunchy. But that's the whole thing: is that all of these are more like Fritz the Cat than they are like heavy metal or fire and ice. So I yeah. I just realized that I the voice in my head just now was that voice in the the voice saying Ryan, this shit does exist, and it's existed for a long time. Anime. Yeah, actually explores yes. this yeah. constantly yeah. and to a, an extraordinarily large diversity and audience. It's just my question was more so directed towards why don't uh, more American or or Western animation studios still explore this? Because in Japan and such, yeah. they fucking do and they fucking do it well. Well, and I and think that's because that's you me. have mature individuals who in Japan and other places are willing to accept animation as a legitimate form of storytelling yeah yeah i mean i know people today that absolutely 
can't stand comic books. They think that comic books are are a lowbrow form. They don't consider it literature. It's just trash, and y'all need to grow up. But they're super big into rock and roll as, like, the ultimate form of music. I'm like, you know, at one point, <laughs> that was considered garbage. And obviously it's not, nor are comic books, um, nor is animation. Yeah. Animation can be incredibly effective at telling a story. Incredibly. Yeah. Like a full feature yeah, length animation. Just because film. trash elements exist does not mean the medium as its whole as a whole is lost. Yeah. It exists. Right. You're just not watching the right thing, or you're not listening to the right thing. You're Did you ever get choked right up thing. at a Disney movie? Yeah, I thought so. That's why fucking animation's effective. <laughs> yeah, and guess what? You early Disney movies rotoscoped. So, oh yeah, right. early ones. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, but Sleep uh, Snow White totally rotoscoped. Yeah, Peter Pan. Yeah. Most of them. In fact, they just reused footage as well. You ever watch fucking Mowgli and and Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh? Yeah, yeah. same That's fucking the same, animation. Same log. They crawl over the same damn log. I've been wanting a mashup of that for years. Yeah. And <laughs> I want to see Christopher Robin oh. chase through the goddamn jungle by Shere Khan. It's, it's Tigger. No, no. It's Have Tigger. It be, yeah. it's just yeah. Tigger I want to see how to stop my Give him Tigger's voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful thing about Tigger anyway. right when he fucking slits his throat. <laughs> oh, dear. These are the bad so necessities. <laughs> So we should probably tie this thing up and bring it back to to fire and ice here. Um, Surprise! How long this episode got? Yeah. See how. um, If you have any final thoughts on fire and ice, and also let's give it give it a grade. Um, Let's. I guess I'll start with you, Joe. So, you know, like I said, this wasn't my first time watching it, but like any time I rewatch a movie for the show, you you watch it a little differently, and the. The, mat, the, the background paintings, the animation style, this is a great example of how Rotoscope can work really well. This is a really well-made and stands-up well animated feature. Um, and the themes are, are definitely for grown-ups. Um, so it's not one to show your kids, as I've learned. <laughs> that all being said, this, don't expect much from the story from this one. It's pretty lackluster and basic. It, it really does feel like, like a weekend RPG. Um, but that I don't know why you'd expect anything else. Uh, the, my biggest complaint about this one really isn't the lack of much of a story, because really you're signing up for this one for the for the visuals, uh, which is something that animation has going for it. Like you can always rely back on that. It was a shitty movie, but it looked pretty. Um, as you can say that with other films as well. But in this Scoob. case, the the problems that kind of linger with it are that there's some aspects that don't age well. The portrayal of the unhumans, uh, or the subhumans, excuse me. The uh, mm-hmm. the the way that Tigra is just constantly falling out of her top, and it's like I know it's based on Franzetta, and that's cool, but it's it's a it's a big pill to swallow for an hour and a half or so, or however long this one is. So, um, if you're gonna watch this one in 2021, know what you're getting into, uh, and. and just realized it's it is quite dated and i guess with all of that i'm gonna i'm gonna give this one a b minus it's i i think if you know what you're getting into it delivers cool ryan what do you think um i'm gonna be very similar actually in a lot of in a lot of ways uh i think joe really hit that nail on the head i agree you gotta you gotta watch this movie with a filter um Mm -hmm. knowing like uh 
where they're approaching this, who, who's, who's fucking making this and given the time. But that being said, it is worth watching um, from, I think, like, if you enjoy animation or movies uh, in, a, in a historical sense and you want to see the evolution of such, uh, this is one of those movies that you definitely need to watch if you want to watch that, that evolution. It does a good job with that, um, especially if you're somebody who, who is into comics uh and what like wants to see like a certain realm of comic history represented uh this is a movie for that uh the artwork the backgrounds more so than anything else for me personally to be honest is is just it's they're nice they're wonderful but you could also probably just get a book from frank frazetta and get the same level <laughs> of enjoyment out of it too I won't lie about that but i i enjoyed watching it i don't regret watching this but yes the story is fucking flat the characters are even flatter um there's a lot of questionable things but not really as bad as other things that we've fucking watched that are dated um this is like at least it's like okay that's clearly weird and problematic and somebody didn't think about it when it comes to the subhumans and then after that it's more or less yeah um but it's it's a B minus for me as well. I honestly it is. If anything else though, I think this this movie and this this podcast uh, episode um, definitely brings up good questions and arguments about like where is more sword and sorcery or animated flicks that explore more adult content. Um, I think it's something that um, would be interesting to see again and see how it's explored. But um, for for through a western studio like i said anime does it anime does it and it does it very well but i mean like in a western sense too like why don't the studios ever explore that but that that's my philosophical or or ethical or whatever question it's a question that's for sure and that was my grade and i yield cool yeah and you know what we're gonna be pretty unanimous here pretty close to i really enjoyed this movie and um but yeah, this movie is all style and not a lot of substance, and that's, for some reason, with this movie, that's okay, because I think it's just literally the way it accomplishes its goal of like, hey, we're going to take this Frenzetta artwork, we're going to take this kind of world of Conan the Barbarian, you know, Robert Howard's uh, fiction, and, and, you know, just that kind of gritty sword and sorcery thing, and we're going to, you know, make it come to life, and I think all of those goals are accomplished, uh, totally agree with you guys with about you know there's bits and pieces of it that are a little uncomfortable with dated depictions of especially the subhumans the kind of sexuality of the film doesn't doesn't bug me as much because I think it's pretty evenly distributed um, but it's it's more um, I don't know it's just it's just a lot of fun to look at like this whole movie just looks great it's like a you know sword and sorcery comic book come to life that's what they went out to make that's what they accomplished so big marks for that if you're going you want a really compelling you know fantasy story that you can really dive into this probably isn't your movie but it's also kind of short and it's a lot of fun to look at so i think i would give this one a b i enjoyed it uh quite a bit um it not perfect but i think you could do a lot worse and especially if you're into animation or if you're into comic book style art or, or franzetta or, or bakshi or any of the people involved in making this is a great example of what they do so and, of course, we would love to know what anybody listening thinks of Fire and Ice, or I'll even maybe branch it out a little bit more to what are your thoughts on our discussion, and do you have any opinions on why we don't see this type of adult animation anymore? 
And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that or this film, and you can share those with us at videojunkerpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a tweet at videojunkpod or find us on Facebook at our main Video Junkyard page or the Video Junkyard Podcast group. And please feel free to share any of your questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms. In fact, I do have one more comment I want to make about this movie, and that I like how you worded that. It's, it's style, more style than substance, but like we were saying, I still think this is one where you got to know what you're getting into. Almost as if if you're watching one of the older Toho era Godzilla films, you got to know what you're getting into. It's going to be a lot of style and not a lot of substance. And that reminds <laughs> right. me of something. That sounds like a segue. It is. Yeah, so coming up <laughs> next week on the uh, Video Junkyard podcast is uh, the start of our, what I'm think i just dubbed earlier our kaiju countdown and that is the countdown to the uh release of the new godzilla versus kong film that is coming on march 31st so for the next three weeks we're going to be looking at uh some other kaiju films and just discussing those and kind of where they sit in the history of the genre and uh just kind of celebrate the genre itself in in you know anticipation of the release of this new film so um yeah, I hope you join us for those uh, giant monsters the next three weeks. And after that, on the Video Junkyard podcast, we are going to make you do our, you know, all the work for us. And that is, that's right, it's the time of year again that we are going to do some audience picks. And uh, I'll throw something up on the Facebook group and, uh, you know, harass all of our listeners to get your picks in and uh, whatever you're going to make us watch. And either something you love that's a hidden gem or maybe you just want to punish us a little bit. We'll watch whatever it is that you guys... Uh, Guys, throw at us. Um, so audience picks for the entire month of April is my goal, if we can get enough uh, enough movies that you guys want to make us watch. so Feel um, free to make oh. us April Fools. <laughs> That's right. What I did there. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to definitely thank everybody for listening to the Video Junk Air podcast. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, or even if you haven't, please feel free to share around with everybody and share the joy and or misery and until next time this is the video junkier podcast and i'm joe peterson i'm eric o'branson and i'm ryan sasko saying next time you present me with one of your little sluts mother dear i'll squash you like a bug you have been listening to the video junkyard podcast i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend you just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash videojunkyardpodcast on Twitter at videojunkpod and on Instagram as videojunkyardpodcast all one word. Want to thank you again for listening? And keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard. Hello, fellow time travelers. I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafrey. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast.
Enjoy your travels.